So we make a request of somebody and the people receiving the request nod their heads and then they walk away and then behind closed door they go, I have no idea what my boss wants. How familiar is that exchange? We walk away from each other, we leave the meeting, and only then do we ask, oh, wait, what was I supposed to do now? The French have a wonderful term for this, esprit de l'escalier, or staircase wit. It's the perfect idiom to capture that experience that we all have when we come up with an idea or a question or a retort too late. You've already left the meeting, you're heading down the staircase, and now your brilliant contribution is less useful. We're talking about the nature of requests on the show today. Howard Teibel is going to walk us through well-constructed requests and demonstrate how we can improve our own skill here thanks to a critical, though often ignored, negotiation tool. If I allowed my people to counteroffer more, I'm probably going to make their lives easier because often people are working 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock at night because all they want to do is fulfill my request. They don't see that they can make counteroffers. We've got to encourage and teach each other that a request is a shared responsibility. Successful communication lives inside a conversation in which the speaker strives for clarity and the listener strives for understanding when it counts in the moment. Now Howard Tyton on the nature of requests. We're talking today, Howard, about the nature of requests as a conversation, not as a directive. That is how you opened your uh, conversation with me today uh, when you were provoked for this particular topic. And I am excited to hear what got you here on this subject. Why are we talking about this today? You know, and the work that I've been doing and my team's been doing with, with different leaders, small groups and their direct reports, the nature of requests is probably one of the fundamental speech act that we engage in uh, all the time at work. There are others, but the nature of requests are central to and doing them well is central. And a conversation is is a certain way of thinking about it being two ways. And I think the more I've been working with folks, the more I'm realizing how important it is that we teach people fundamentally to speak up. The missing piece here, Pete, is if you made a request of me for, uh, and assume it's not a simple one, like pick up the pencil and I can just hand you the pencil. But if it was a request with some level of complexity, what I'm listening for is do I understand it? Not an even more important way of engaging. Can I make sure at least when I walk away, that I have a sense of what would satisfy you, otherwise known as your conditions of satisfaction. Let's dig into this idea, the difference between you being clear as a speaker and me being clear about what it is to satisfy a request, which is two different things. Okay, can we start at the request level? Because I think what you have done here is you have put a deeper sense of shared responsibility both in the individual requesting the thing and the responsibility in the receiver that 
neither are necessarily thinking deeply enough about the exchange. That's right. And I think this is trained from a very early age, by the way, this idea that as a listener, our job is to understand versus speak up and recognize in the conversation. Fernando Flores really came up with a way of framing this. And I've been practicing this for years and now teaching it and discovering the real power it has that most people are not aware of. So the first thing I want people to be aware of is that when you make a request, you're creating an expectation on the part of the speaker that some concern will be addressed. It's usually a request is, or maybe always, a request is oriented around a concern. And if the listener accepts it, you are fundamentally making a commitment or a promise to fulfill something. Now, before there's a commitment, the listener has more than one move they can make, Pete. They can accept the request. And often there's accepting or they can decline. But there's a third move that more and more people are discovering when when we're talking with them, that's a much more opening move than just declining, and that's a counteroffer. So if you said to me, uh, I'd like to do a podcast with you, Howard, on Tuesday, and I'd like it to be on this particular topic, I could be thinking, you know what? I want to do a podcast. I don't want it to be that topic, and I can't do Tuesday. What I fundamentally would be doing is then saying, I like to make a counteroffer, Pete. The counteroffer is, yes, let's do the podcast instead on this topic, and can we do Wednesday? And then you'd come back to me and say, I accept that, and then we have a commitment. But very often, we're lazy about this. We don't recognize that we have the move of the counteroffer, and we often think that the only options we have is to accept or decline. And that's the listener's responsibility to be willing to step forward and say, even if you're my boss, you know what? I can do that for you. But instead of Tuesday morning, can I get it to you by Tuesday afternoon? And of course you can. That works for me. And I'll tell you, yesterday I was in a session and I asked this question and people said, my God, if I allowed my people to counteroffer more, I probably going to make their lives easier because often people are working 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock at night because all they want to do is fulfill my request. They don't see that they can make counter offers. I, I have two things to say uh, to this, two, two observations that I would love your reflection on. One, from the perspective of the speaker, the one making the request, my sense is that part of the reason we have to keep coming back two or three times to get clarification is that when these requests are made to a subordinate, you're actually often making a request to a subject matter expert, somebody who works for you on your team who does something or has a specialty uh, skill in some area. And we make assumptions that they just know everything about it already. So Mm. I should be able to say to you, uh, go build me a social media plan and you're the social media person. So you should already know what I need when I need it. That's a great point. And you're not going to be comfortable saying to me, and this gets back to what we talked about in the past, this idea of the comfort level of being a beginner or or yes. doing something for the first time. So for you to come back to me and to have permission to say, I have to tell you, Howard, I'm not quite sure what you mean by social media platform. Right. That is a huge, first of all, it's a statement of confidence. 
And people won't do this because they think that, my God, I, my, I may have my identity questioned if I reveal I don't know exactly what you're asking. So we make a request of somebody and the people receiving the request nod their heads and then they walk away and then behind closed door, they go, I have no idea what my boss wants. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. All the time that happens. Yeah. Yeah. The alternative is to begin to recognize this as a conversation. Mm -hmm. In the nature of that conversation, we're inventing something to be fulfilled mm -hmm. as opposed to as long as I'm, I, I, I'm a good communicator and you nod your head, that means somehow it should magically happen. But in the nature of the conversation, what will often happen is the request will become even clearer to the speaker. Sometimes I don't even know what I want, yeah. but I know it's a direction. It's the nature of the unknown unknown. Right. So that absolutely gets to number one. It's like that shared responsibility of the speaker being able to recognize and to give grace enough that they're open to counteroffers. Uh, and, and the second one that I wanted to raise your attention is the receiver and often, if you're speaking, you know, to a, a subordinate, if the receiver is a subordinate, there is a nature of intimidation or fear that just comes from working for someone else, yeah. right? And that that may define why you choose just to say, yeah, I can do that, or and, and I'll just work into the middle of the night to do it because I'm too afraid to make that counteroffer because I don't understand relative stakes. But what's interesting is for the speaker, if they made it more possible to for people to counteroffer, taught their people that it's that not only do they expect that, but that there's value, the speaker will begin to learn that they're gonna more likely get what they want because they made it possible for people to make these counteroffers. All right, so you alluded to four things that you wanted to talk about that I think would be illustrative to this conversation. Why don't you run us through the okay. four things? So the first one is, that when you make a request of somebody else, behind that request are conditions of satisfaction. So that means that I have some either explicit or implicit conditions that I'd want to see fulfilled for this request. So for example, if I ask you for the enrollment report, if I was paying attention as the listener, I would recognize the assumptions that I'm making. If I have history with you and we've done this before, I'm going to assume that you're going to want it the way you, you had it before. Whether I, you want me to email you a PDF, whether you want a printout. But if I, let's say that it's a, it's a new request, I would be asking you questions like, what kind of data do you want in this? If I'm really paying attention, I would be thinking about who is it for? And a great example of a breakdown would be, I want the enrollment data from you, and I know it's because I want to give it to a board member. You go off and get me the enrollment data, and it's this raw data on 20 pages. And I say, what am I going to do with this? Well, there's your enrollment data. Yeah, but I got to show this to the board members. Well, you didn't say to me that you needed it for the board members. So what does that mean? Well, it means I need the summary data. I need an executive summary. If you think about it in the moment, if the listener and speaker recognize that we don't really know 
what we want to use it for, or maybe the speaker didn't articulate that, I would be asking you, so tell me what you're going to use it for. Well, we're, we have a board meeting. Oh, okay, great. So do you want it in a particular format? Yeah, it'll be great to have an executive summary. Very often, instead, what happens is I ask for the enrollment data and you automatically go to what that means. Once I get it, then I realize, oh, I didn't tell you what it's for, or I get frustrated because don't you realize you have a board meeting coming up in a week? And obviously it's for that, right? So there's a lot of assumptions that we make as the speaker that if we can recognize we need to make sure that the listener understands our conditions of satisfaction and that the listener's job is to is to be clear about what my conditions of satisfaction are through a conversation. We have a much greater likelihood we're going to get what we need right the first time. Now, here's the second piece of conditions of satisfaction. Very often, I don't know what my conditions are entirely. So if I ask for, I want to build a social media platform, and you say back to me, what is it for and how are you going to use it? And next thing you know, I realize your questions are helping me clarify ideas about where this goes. You actually serve me by helping me get clear about what it is that I want. We do this by having people make requests and then fill out a grid. One of the one of the columns is conditions of satisfaction. A second column mm-hmm. is what are some of the assumptions we're making that we're not going to talk about? And and that's coined the background of obviousness. And there's always a background of obviousness. You would never want to have to describe every assumption you're making. Otherwise, we wouldn't get anything done. A really simple example is if I asked you to pick me up, you would not say to me, in your car or on my motorcycle or on a bus. Or just in a hug. Right. Pick me up in a hug. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So just know that there's always a background of obviousness. Some of those assumptions we make that are part of the background of obviousness may be part of your conditions of satisfaction. So you have to begin to distinguish between what I really don't need to speak and what I need to raise with you that may be part of your conditions of satisfaction. The third element is that the thing that you're asking for, which for something to be fulfilled in the future. And fulfillment's interesting because fulfillment gets to a level of satisfaction that's that you, it's like closing the loop to be able to say that the the nature of what we just accomplished was fulfilled. So so in the end, the fulfillment in this case with the board is the board comes back to me and says, that was a fantastic enrollment report. That fulfillment is something that we could even talk about. So you could say to me, well, I'll be an example, Howard, of, of this being a, a, a request where something was fulfilled. And I would say to you, well, the board, the board found that report to be engaging and, and, and really uh, inspiring or whatever. You know now as a listener what to look for and maybe how to orient this report toward that concern, all right? So fulfillment, around a future action. And then the fourth one is time. How often, Pete, have people said to each other, and I'm I'm curious what you think about this. I need something soon. I have some thoughts about this, but I'm curious. Why why would you say to me, 
I'll I'll do that soon, as opposed to I'll get it to you by next Tuesday by three at three o'clock. Assuming goodwill, uh, I think our we operate in an incredibly complex environment, and for me to be able to say to you in a meeting that. I am equipped with everything I need to deliver to your level of satisfaction to this to sufficient sufficiently satisfy your request. Uh, I don't I, I am always nervous to say that on the spot to give you a time mm-hmm. before I get back to my desk and I can actually collect my thoughts and re- in a reduced pressure environment where I can say, OK, I have now reviewed the details and given my current workload that I have now evaluated over the next next week, I know that I can confidently deliver this to you by such and such time. And I think the level of complexity in our schedules and workloads are requiring more of us to make those hedged statements in meetings that can sort of frustrate. But again, I think that's the nature of where we are. So I think it's that, which is, a, to me, a really good reflection on, matter of fact, that's appropriate. I don't even think that there's any real breakdown in that. The breakdown in that case then yeah. is not that you say, listen, I can't tell you now when I will do it. I need to go back and reflect on it. It's the it's the yes. lack of follow through at that it's point. No, 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 right. no. In that case, that the issue is not that. It's that when you go back, yeah. we don't circle back and say, all right, I have now reflected on that and I will get that to you by Tuesday at four o'clock, right? It's fair to, and, and, and matter of fact, important to not make a promise that you don't anticipate you can keep. At the same time, mm-hmm. recognize when you don't make that promise, whether in the moment or later, you fundamentally do not have a commitment. And and right. this is a joint responsibility. You know, I, th- I know a lot of managers who won't ask for, for a number of reasons and then they don't follow up and then they get frustrated because the things don't happen in a timely basis. Someone said to me recently, the reason I don't ask for a specific time is I know how much that other person has on their plate and I don't want to put pressure on them. I think that is a a weak move to, to do that. I think that's a bad choice as a manager or a colleague to actually not allow the person, the other person, to actually accept, decline, or counteroffer, but give them a pass when in fact if you do this, you're going to end up with no commitment. So in the absence of time being clarified, either in the moment or afterwards, you do not have a commitment. So that's that's the second thing. The third thing I want to speak to here, Pete, is the third move you can make besides the obvious, I accept your request, request or I decline your request. Those are obvious. We know that. Yes, I'll do it. No, I won't do it. Obviously, if I report to you, I'm going to be reluctant to decline. If I'm a colleague and I want to maintain goodwill, I want to say yes. But what's interesting, more and more of us are saying, we got to start saying no to things. We have too much on our plate. An alternative to saying no is to make a counteroffer. So I was with a group of managers yesterday and someone realized, if I can encourage my people to counteroffer, I will likely increase the chance that they will still be able to fulfill what I'm looking for, but they won't be working until 
midnight because I have piled things on them. They will not say no. And then they have to fulfill every request in the time frame I've said. And I've discovered, Pete, by watching people that a good counteroffer move is often, if I said to you, I need that strategy report by tomorrow morning at nine. And I might say that not even thinking about what you're, what else you have on your plate. And you say, you know what? I can get you that report, but can I give it to you at two o'clock instead? Very often as the speaker, I'm going to say, yes, that's fine. And now I've created a possibility for you to actually fulfill this in a way that also honors your other commitments. My background before, you know, my glorious podcasting career uh, at Title Education was in project management. And so we always spoke in terms of cost, schedule, and performance. Very familiar terms in the project man- management world. When you come to me with a request that says, I need this report by tomorrow morning at nine, the first thing I'm going to say is, I am enabled to do that. I have everything that I need to do in terms of resources to do that. Let's make that assumption. What would you like me not to do? in order to make that come true for you. Because I also have other things on my plate right now. If nine o'clock in the morning is a deadline, I'm going to not be able to deliver on something else. And here are the other things. I need you to generously give me your assessment of priorities to help me make make it through this, this you know, negotiation. That puts back on me something that I may not be prepared to say, I don't know how to prioritize your 10 other things. The other move for you is to simply say, I can't do it by nine. I'd like to counter offer with doing it by noon. As opposed to assuming that I won't negotiate with you about 9 a.m. Well, yeah, I think the implication is that there is negotiation on time. I mean, there's perfect as a as a manager. I absolutely expect you to have the wherewithal to tell me, you know what? Nine is really the most important deliverable here. I need to have this by nine. If if it's flexible, if time is flexible, then, oh, I see you're very busy. Could you get it to me by noon? Like there I think that gets to something that I've been thinking about as you've been talking this whole time, that this is not um, this. It feels to me what's missing when communication goes awry is a spirit of generosity on both parties, right? It is with the spirit of generosity that I come to you, my subordinate, and and say, here's what I'd like. I am I'm I need you to do this as part of our working relationship together. And I don't I might not know 100 percent how to ask this question in a way that fully satisfies your needs. And it is a spirit of generosity that comes from the person who is receiving that request not to come back and just take me literally and get frustrated by everything that I I do, but to ask questions about standards and expectations and time and schedule. So it could be either party that's that asks the question about, you know, is nine o'clock the most important deliverable here or is it getting it done, you know, right in the space of other things? that are also important. In many ways, the, as I listen to you, that, that and I see this in others, we need to keep it really simple. Howard, I'd like to make a counteroffer. Can, can I get it to you by noon? Too often, there's too much story behind this and too much having to explain with each other. What I've discovered, Pete, is if you use the language of I'm making a request, your moves are accept, decline, or counteroffer. I need to be clear about my conditions of satisfaction. Your job as the listener is to be clear in helping me make sure that I have articulated those to you. In the end, if we can just orient around that kind of 
language action, what'll happen is we can we can be clean about it. But often what I find is people have a discomfort in in um in counter offering and they don't even want a counter offer they're deeply uncomfortable mm-hmm. saying no take this out of even the subordinate employer uh role part of this is retraining us to just be precise in our language take the emotion out of it and and be willing to just speak with each other in a way that clarifies what it is we're going to do and what we can expect from each other. And what I've discovered is that if you, you people can train themselves to do this, it takes practice. Like anything else, the more you practice recognizing, bringing your awareness to, there are four things I got to pay attention to. The background of obviousness, some of the things I need to make sure are clear, but many of them I don't. But I, I need to, based on this conversation for this request, are there any things I need to not just have be an obvious in the background? What does the fulfillment look like and what is time? All right. And that I've got three options. If I accept, I've made a promise. A promise doesn't mean you can't revoke a promise. Think about the language of promising. People feel bad. People like the language I, you and I have grown up with is that is about we can't break promises. You can make a promise to me and then you can revoke it and then say, I'm revoking this promise. And here's what I promise instead. When you make a promise, it's really on you, if you can't do it, to come back, revoke, and then step into what promise you're willing to make at this point. So so what I'm offering here, Pete, you know, to the listener, to you, to me, and a reminder for myself, is to learn how to keep this as simple as possible, take the emotion out of it, and to recognize the power in this kind of way of engaging around requests as a conversation, but use some simple language uh, that we've been talking about that and, and train people and train ourselves to engage with each other in that way. Thank you all for downloading and listening to this show. Hold, hold, hold on, What's Pete. That? We're not done. What's that? What did I, I have miss? a request. Oh, good. Well, it's practice. All right. <laughs> no, stop practice. It's real. <laughs> so I have a request that we have this podcast out by uh, next Thursday. Oh. Do you accept? Uh, no. <laughs> Is this where I hang up? <laughs> yeah, you said that no way too easily. <laughs> so, okay. So, so, okay. So you're declining, right? Yes, I decline. So what are you going to offer instead? I, I do have a counter offer, Howard. I, we have a schedule in place, and this is currently scheduled for the following Tuesday, and I'm going to need every bit of time to edit this. Oh, did you think I meant this Thursday or the following <laughs> Thursday? Just now. Oh, it was it was this Thursday. Ah, no, I meant a week from Thursday. Then, then then we're fine. Then we're fine. We are in violent agreement. Violent. Mm-hmm. All right. So so basically you accept. And I then, accept. So fantastic. And and because you and I have done this like 215 times, there, there are many things that you and I both know what that means. We've already have a process in place. Yeah. So I'm not at all concerned about the majority of our conditions of satisfaction. So. Just a little practice for us. I love it. And, you know, let people behind the curtain just got, a little bit. I got too excited about that. No, you're right. I'm going to revisit that. I'm My God, re- that was that was way too, too easy, too hard. Pete. Yeah. Too, way too yeah. easy. You got it. <laughs>
<laughs> this is a win. Thank you, Howard. This is a fantastic conversation, a great reminder. I hope some lessons learned by all. Uh, and thank you all for downloading and listening to this show. Head over to tybalink.com to learn more about our work and education. You can subscribe to the show for free, of course. Just click the blue button and we'll send you an email each time a new episode is released. If you like what you heard here today, please share with a friend or colleague who you think might appreciate a new podcast in their own library. On behalf of Howard Tybal, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next time right here on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Education. Thank you.